Hi, I'm Juliet. I'm from Kenya, and I love watching dogs play with babies. That's Juliet from M24. This week, we're diving deep into Juliet's story on Humans of Minerva. Intro music. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast that captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Gabriel da Silva, and today I'll be sitting down with Juliet from M24. Hi, Juliet. Hi, Gabriel. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Mm, we've been trying to schedule this for a while, and now I'm super curious. What does that even mean, that you like <laughs> to see dogs playing with babies? Okay. So I'm currently in Argentina and I love going to the parks because I really love the sun and I love dogs. I fell in love with a dog during the COVID summer and I love watching children play with dogs because I feel like that interaction is so genuine and creative and it just fills my soul. Oh, what a, uh, I'm also curious. I fell in love with a dog during the COVID summer. That is well. not something that you hear every day. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people have had COVID crushes. Mm -hmm. I hear that dating app usage spiked through COVID. Mm -hmm. But I am guessing you didn't meet this dog on a dating app. So how did this happen? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, during the COVID summer, as I call it, I was going through a shift in my life in terms of education, in terms of relationships, in terms of what do I want to do with my life. And I had just finished my freshman year at Minerva and I was unable to go home. So I was mm. stuck in the US because my flight got canceled the day before I traveled. So I finished my semester in San Francisco and I didn't know where to go. I wasn't able to stay in Minerva housing because I couldn't pay. Um, mm. And I had also applied like for some jobs in the like Minerva system and stuff like that, but I didn't get any of them. And so I was really stressed because imagine I even called the embassy. I called the embassy in Kenya, very useless. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I was really stuck, especially because I'm the first person in my family to kind of come to the US. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that buffer zone of um, friends or family or family friends mm -hmm. who live in the US to host me. Luckily, one of my friends really, really, really came through. Um, she had a contact somewhere in California and their family actually accepted both of us to stay with them during the summer and I thought that was so generous because how are these strangers accepting two more strangers during a pandemic um, yeah so that's where I met the love of my life Malakai he is so beautiful yeah that's how I met him uh, yeah. that's really cute what about and we're gonna get to some of these other stuff that I think are super important for mm -hmm. us to explore mm -hmm. uh, but still Malachi because he mm -hmm. seems like a cool <laughs> guy uh, yeah. what about this dog was different than other dogs right so before I started living with Malachi I didn't like dogs I was kind of okay with cats I thought dogs were too much like they have too much attention too much energy just relax relax <laughs> But Malachi came and he was, I think, eight weeks old and he was so fluffy. He was so fluffy. And I loved how he was able to tell when members of the family were kind of down. And so he would come and try to snuggle with you. And um, last, last fall, when I went back to San Francisco for my 
my fall semester, I was able to go and visit their host family for oh. a week, and I really loved that. Um, visiting them in a different context that is not crisis, you know, just mm. to think, thank them. And I spent the week with Malachi, and he healed me. My mental health was in the pits, <laughs> and Malachi fixed it. So mm. yeah, that's Malachi. That's really cute. Actually, a while back, I was reading on uh, dogs and mental health. Yes. And mm-hmm. one of the things that is really incredible, I've always had trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that they recommend if you like animals is sleeping with an animal yes. um, mm-hmm. because it somehow calms your body down yes. and allows you to get in this restful space mm-hmm. um, and to me that's mind-blowing yeah. how often we look at animals through like a condescending perspective that's true of superiority and actually how much they are these living evolving and healing yeah. um, creatures too yeah um one of the things I wrote um, recently in a gratitude list is I'm grateful to exist in a world where dogs exist. Mm-hmm. So being here in Argentina where everybody has seven dogs is really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that how you unwind generally or do you have other ways to unwind? I started doing gratitude lists, I think, relatively recently because I do have uh, constant chatter of negative self-talk mm-hmm. that I have been trying to untangle over time. Mm-hmm. So being able to look at the things I can be grateful for sort of helps me balance out my negative thinking. Mm. I also started practicing yoga, although it's been it's been a while. My mat <laughs> is spread out on the balcony. It just keeps <laughs> looking at me every morning when I wake up like, are you coming back anytime soon? Um, I also... I have a couple of apps that I use to deal with my mental health. Mm. Um, so one I really like is called MindShift. So it's an app that helps you untwist your anxiety, um, maybe cope with difficult thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's really tailored to anxiety. So I'd highly recommend checking it. I also recently got an affirmations app. Mm. Um, so... I read the affirmations like when I wake up there's a notification and it's so good and sometimes they're lying sometimes these <laughs> things aren't true yeah like recently I saw one and it said I am free to go wherever I go and I was like my bank account said no yeah but I think mm. just being able to be present and to be grateful because sometimes we never get so tough yeah? yeah there's a lot to do all the time um, so it's mm. nice to be able to come back to myself and be present and be grateful. I love that. And I want to deep dive into some of that. Yeah. So, for example, you mentioned here um, Mm -hmm. a lot about your mental health. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's an important thing for you. Mm -hmm. When did that become a thing? And let me give uh, to our listeners a bit of background. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping you're not playing on stereotypes. We were both from the global south. Yeah. And I think the global south has had so much less information mm-hmm. over mental health mm-hmm. compared to the global north for example mm-hmm. um, it's not something that you generally grew up in schools learning at least I didn't mm-hmm. uh, or learning how to manage it and mm-hmm. very often uh, our parents haven't had access to a higher education and to mm-hmm. thinking about these topics and yeah. so how did that become a thing to you is that true to you actually do you resonate with that do you have a different image I absolutely resonate with that. So when I was growing up, 
<laughs> the solutions to my problems were church, right? Mm. Um, so whenever I'd have problems, I, I grew up religious and I went to high school and primary schools that were founded on religiousness. Yeah, so all of the solutions used to be um, go to church, pray about it. But then when I left high school, I found myself wanting more. I found that, you know, these solutions that I was being offered were insufficient. And I thought that there, there was this culture of suppressing things, especially in Kenya. We don't really talk about things unless, um, yeah, unless things are really, really bad. So we, let's say in my family, we haven't grown up really sharing what's on our minds, what kind of troubles are we facing, how are we supposed to look for these solutions? And at some point, when I was applying to Minerva, I had finished my high school. Um, at that point, I was in a bad mental state and I didn't have the language to be able to say, I am experiencing depression. Mm -hmm. So what I did was kind of internalize that and be like, yeah, this is a reflection of my ability maybe in school mm. this is a reflection of i used to be an intelligent person and now i'm struggling with day-to-day -day tasks i'm struggling with productivity mm. i can't get out of bed so it means that i'm not an intelligent person anymore mm. or i don't have focus anymore and not being able to communicate this even with the people who are close to me because i don't want them to have a different impression of me like mm. there's this legacy or there's this expectation that I have because of my track record maybe in school and then I'm deviating from that so I felt like I had to figure it out myself mm. um, and so I just started looking into mental health I think Instagram at that time before <laughs> all the ads and the influencers was a really crucial learning tool for me just mm. going to mental health app mm. accounts and looking at the infographics they have, mm. it gave me sort of language to be able to say, mm. oh, this is what is happening, and here is how I can deal with it. But how I dealt with it at that time with my limited information was applying to a school I had no idea about and <laughs> flying away from my problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I only love to, that. Only to find bigger problems, but it's okay. <laughs> only to find bigger only problems. Only to find bigger that problems. There. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, was that information in English or...? Yeah, mostly in English. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is the English the primary language used in your family? Yes, it's the primary language used in my family. Um, and then it's a primary language of instruction. So mm -hmm. in schools, um, in universities, we learn in English. Yeah. It's spoken in official um, offices, government offices. But then we also have Swahili, which is mm -hmm. the national language, which also everybody uses. So it was quite easy to access that information, yeah. In English. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm asking that then because in your context, everybody can speak English, so mm -hmm. it's not a problem that this context yeah. is in English, okay? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because in Brazil, for example, uh, so little of the population speaks English, that to nice. us, it's super important to have this kind of content reaching us in Portuguese. Yeah. Otherwise, it won't reach the masses. Yeah. Um, so you flew away from your problems. I did. <laughs> we love a solution. <laughs> yes. We pretty much love a solution. Mm -hmm. uh, I can resonate a lot with your story and yeah. uh, how religion is a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there is a time and place for it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when you don't have any other tool, mm -hmm. it's a useful tool. Yeah. But as you said, 
it's not a sufficient tool. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering then, how did that relationship with religion has changed over time for you? Right. Um, and and maybe before we we dive into that, <laughs> let I actually stop myself. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a topic that I'm interested in, but just to paint a better picture, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the love you grew up with. Yeah. Okay, so I am the first born in a family of five kids. Yeah, so I have four younger siblings. I love them so much. Um, and I live with both my parents. So I grew up in a family that was very concerned about education because mm-hmm. my parents sort of moved from the family that they grew up in to go to somewhere that's closer to Nairobi which is the capital city just mm-hmm. to have better opportunities because they grew up very poor and they don't let us forget that you know telling us stories about how they used to fetch water from I don't know how many kilometers away before mm-hmm. they went to school and then after coming back from school they had to help milk the cattle um, So some of the stories about poverty, I think, motivated them to want better for us mm-hmm. as their children. And so when I was growing up, I always felt like, first of all, as a firstborn, I have to set an example for my siblings to follow in. And sometimes it was overwhelming because, you know, I didn't ask for this, mm-hmm. especially when the things that I wanted didn't align with the expectations that other people have of me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that also went into the realm of um, co-parenting because my parents were very busy. Um, They had nine to five jobs and then they had many children. So sometimes I'd have the responsibility of maybe taking somebody to get their hair done or making sure that everybody else has done their homework. But you know, I'm still a kid. So um, I learned to grow up really quickly and Mm -hmm. I learned to also figure my stuff out on my own Mm -hmm. so that when somebody else needs me, I can be there for them. Mm -hmm. And so my escape was books. Yes, I was a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I loved stories so much. I loved fiction. I always thought I'd go study in the UK because many of the textbooks we were using were printed at Oxford. Yeah, and I was like, Oxford is amazing. I want to go to Oxford where they give us all of the stories and give escape to little children. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I always thought that I'd do my higher education abroad, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure. Mm. And when I went to high school, so I went to a really nice high school by the standards of high schools in Kenya. And when I went there... (laughs) That was the first like um, attack on my identity as a mm. overachiever, high performer that I experienced. Mm. Because I did well in my primary school examinations and then going to high school, everybody who is in that high school did well. Mm. And so it's the first time I'm not at the top of the class. It's the mm. first time I'm not, you know, the best. And it really made me want to explore other things. Mm. And it made me feel... <laughs> average (laughs) yeah it made me feel average and then i learned to like tone down my dreams Mm. so when i was in high school i didn't think about studying abroad i didn't Mm. think that i would make it i just thought okay let's just be realistic i'm going to finish high school and then study architecture in um the university of nairobi and then hopefully make some money Mm. but when i left high school i was able to join a program that um, helped me apply abroad 
Mm. And that's how I came by Minerva. Mm. Um, yeah, so I also grew up in a very religious family. Um, mm. Yeah, so we used to go to church every Sunday. Um, we'd have like a lot of community events that were centered around religion. And so religion was kind of equated with morality. And I had to do a lot of unlearning that mm-hmm. when I left high school or yeah mm. so much the a books, lot <laughs> i love it there's so yeah. much so interesting mm-hmm. um and i want to go back to the piece about uh turning down your dreams yeah um because i personally relate to that a lot as well mm-hmm. um and i'm wondering was that just something that you felt mm-hmm. were people in your high school that thought they could was this a private or public high school public public, yeah. public. Mm-hmm. um so are most people in this high school of mm-hmm. a similar uh, economic background or no? Is there a range? Yeah, there's a huge range actually because um, yeah, they have people, for example, who are kids of big government officials mm-hmm. and then they have, um, on the other end of the scale, they have students who are on scholarship or students for who like the first experience actually wearing school uniform is when they come to high school. And so when you are in your first year, you can see sort of the range Mm. in terms of the kind of school supplies that everybody has brought to get checked in on their first day. Mm. So there was a huge variety. And I think that it made me want to kind of find my identity. Like, I feel like because of the huge variety, there was stratification obviously Mm -hmm. yeah so there was x group and y group and z group and there was i don't know how much of this was internal how much of this was external Mm -hmm. but there was an idea that you know the people who succeed are x group Mm -hmm. the people who don't succeed are y group so it was i guess kind of difficult to move across the classes Mm -hmm. especially like academically Mm. So there are people who used to be maybe number one since the first day of um, high school. And so it's kind of hard for, it was kind of hard for me to think, oh, I can also, you know, be at least good enough to achieve the kind of dreams that I want for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I automatically mm-hmm. categorized myself yeah, as not particularly excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what? Uh, social markers mm-hmm. did you have that helped you categorize yourself in that? What right. were the difference between the people in these groups? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to bring information from Brazil, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from a country that is highly diverse mm-hmm. due to our history of immigration. Mm-hmm. We had lots of um, slavery through Portugal because mm-hmm. Portugal colonized us and then we became a slave trade. Um, mm-hmm. And we also had tons of Italians, Japanese, mm-hmm. and, and Germans that mm-hmm. came to Brazil, for example, after mm-hmm. World War II. Mm-hmm. So we have a population mm-hmm. that ranges um, from being very, very German-white still, mm-hmm. and a population of uh, Afro-Latinos mm-hmm. uh, to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often when you look at public schools, for example, mm-hmm. you're going to see uh disproportionate amount mm-hmm. of black Brazilians mm-hmm. um compared to when you look to very expensive high schools where mm-hmm. you have a disproportionate amount mm-hmm. of white students and mm-hmm. then 
your color, your race, your mm-hmm. pheno- uh, phenotype mm-hmm. becomes then a social marker mm-hmm. that there might be a bigger mm-hmm. chance of being quote-unquote successful if mm-hmm. you look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm guessing, and mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. that maybe there wasn't the phenotype, right? Mm-hmm. There wasn't the social marker. Necessarily mm-hmm. your color wasn't how you were seeing success, success or not. Right, so... Yeah, it's true. We didn't have like race as a social marker because most of us were black. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know I was black until I left. <laughs> until I left Kenya, I was like, oh my, I'm black. Wow. Yeah. But um, we had, of course, this colorism. Mm-hmm. So um, we mostly, the categories were in terms of the kinds of social activities that we used to do. So um, we have the people who used to go for math competitions all mm-hmm. of the time and then there's the people who joined um some clubs like for some clubs it was known that these are the cool kids mm-hmm. you know and even the modes of getting into those clubs are mostly like not really on merit more on social connections mm-hmm. and then we also had stratification along religious lines like mm-hmm. you know the muslim kids or the catholic kids mm-hmm. and then the protestant kids like I think the social markers were mostly in terms of which kinds of social activities you join. And mm. I think, I could be wrong, but the most um, egalitarian group was maybe the athletes. Mm. Because in that case, you know, you actually have to bring your skill. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's how I'd say we were sort of classified. Okay, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it helps us get this bigger vision of mm-hmm. where you were. Mm-hmm. What do you think that broke that that mm-hmm. cycle of I cannot be there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you even find this program that helped you apply to the US? Um, I passed my high school exams. <laughs> yeah, I did well in my high school exams and then this program like um, selected people who had done well in the high school exams mm. and then kind of admitted them into this program. Mm. And I think being there um, kind of made me feel, oh, I still, I still got it. <laughs> it's just yeah me. it's still me oh yeah i can still you know read and understand things and these people think i can do it so why not mm. yeah so i feel like there's a sense of external validation mm-hmm. or like external um people telling me i can therefore i can i couldn't rely on myself internally mm. so yeah that's how it broke somebody believed in me and i was like okay i guess <laughs> i guess okay yeah uh. You also mentioned uh, how you felt at some point there during co-parenting mm. um, with your siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sounds like a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you deal with that pressure? Mm-hmm. And nowadays, how do you deal with it? Specifically in terms of education, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're now that uh, you're bridging that inspirational gap for them? Mm-hmm. Do you hope them to follow the same path of you? Mm-hmm. How, how does that manifest nowadays? Right, that's... A really good question. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is something that my therapist used to tell me. And I just want to say that when I listen to podcasts and the podcast people say my therapist tells me, it just makes me so happy. So I've become <laughs> one of those people. Um, so my therapist told me that I am not a parent, I am a kid. Mm. And it's kind of made me release the kind of pressure and responsibility that I was taking on. Because I realized, you know, I can't do everything. 
and because I'm the firstborn, there is this urge to kind of protect my siblings from mistakes and failures and pain. Like the idea that they will go through pain just drives me crazy. But then I realized that I went through it as well and I'm okay. So I have to kind of trust that they will be okay. Mm. And that trying to shield them from everything is not necessarily helping them. So for now, I've kind of shed the responsibility or like the obligation to be kind of excellent Mm. in my work because I'm setting an example because it kind of led me to um, perfectionism chronic Mm. perfectionism which then became chronic procrastination Mm. because I want to do everything perfectly but then I had to confront my limitations and realize that sometimes good enough is good enough what I do want for them is to know that the world is huge. The world is so huge and there's so many opportunities that they could have. And I also want them to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I want us all to just go to therapy and fix our issues. Yeah. I love that. Uh, a super cool thing that I find in my family is that mm-hmm. I did therapy and then my sister did therapy. Yay! And then my mom does therapy. <laughs> Yeah. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to a, a phrase that you said yeah. um, earlier in regards to your family as well. You said there were some things that uh, were contradictory between what I wanted mm-hmm. and what you thought you needed to give them in order mm-hmm. to be a good example. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can mention? Yeah. So, as I mentioned, we grew up super conservative. And when I left high school, I started um, engaging with feminist ideals or like Mm. feminist um, rhetoric and thinking, okay, this is the current situation. It's very misogynistic and I don't understand it. And I feel like women should be able to do things like walk on the street without being harassed. I think one of the things I'm grateful to Minerva for is being able to get on a plane and run away from misogyny because I think it's one of the least enjoyable experiences about going back home. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm abroad, I'm able to wear whatever I want, usually, um, socialize with whoever I want. I am able to maybe um, walk on the streets a bit later or I don't have to keep sending my location to my friends. But when I go home, I have to take all of these precautions just to be sure that, or at least to give myself a better chance of being safe as a person who is in a mm-hmm. feminine body. And questioning things like, okay, why is it that In our family dynamic, the father has responsibilities and then the mother has responsibilities. Like, why can't it be equal? Or questioning things like, why does religion dictate the trajectory that women can take in terms of um, taking control of their reproduction? Mm -hmm. So just questioning those out loud really led to a rift with me and my family. Um, Especially... (laughs) Especially when I went home after COVID and I told them that I wouldn't go to church anymore. Oh, oh, we oh, need to get into that oh story. Actually, <laughs> walk us through that. How, how did that happen? Okay, so <clears throat> I get home. I think it was on the 4th of August 2020. 
yeah, I haven't been home for almost a whole year and everybody is excited to see me. And the way they throw like a welcome type party is they welcome me into the living room, the lights are down low, they're playing music on YouTube on the television, it's Christian worship music and I'm just like, oh no. Because I hadn't gone to church since I stepped in San Francisco and then my parents said that I should pray for them because I'm bringing blessings from abroad. And and, and and let's stop just a second there. Yes. Paint the, the who's in the room. Let's see the full picture. Who's there with you? <laughs> okay, so it's my mom and my dad and my four siblings. Um yeah, the youngest of who are ten at this point. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a range in between. So everybody is there waiting for me to pray, they're bowing their heads, and I'm just like, Whew, okay. So I say that I don't think I'm the best person to pray because I'm not a Christian anymore and the room goes silent. <gasps> I don't think my dad had what my mom said because my mom was like, what? And then she's like, Ebuhia, what, 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 what is your daughter saying? And then my dad was like, oh, what did you say? And I had to repeat it. Okay, somebody else prayed and then I was left behind with my parents to explain myself oh, oh my god it was a long night it was mm. terrible but i think i'm glad i did it am i i don't know yeah but yeah i think that significantly impacted our relationship in terms mm. of i had gone abroad i had become a different person i felt that i was growing and making my own independent decisions mm. they felt like i was straying away from the way that they had brought me up and so mm -hmm. it was really hard to find a middle ground where I'm like, I have learned some valuable things and I want to share them with you, but it's hard for you to look past this one thing that I am not, you know, subscribing to anymore. Yeah. Mm. And you were home after that for four months. I was home after mm. that for almost a year because I had just mm. started my gap year, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, And that's why I did it because I was like, I can't go back to pretending essentially to, you know, playing along as I had before I left. I felt mm. like I had left the box and going back in would be suffocating for me. So I was like, okay, let's, okay, let's, let's, let's see, let's see whether honesty will pay. Oh, it is so difficult. It is so difficult. There's so much pressure for me to go back, especially like for the sake of societal impressions mm. in terms of what will the community say? You know, you are an example to the neighborhood and now you have left, like people are going to start thinking America is a bad place. And I feel like my mom won't let any of my siblings go abroad after this. So. <laughs> she was like, she was like mm, yeah, if this is what happens, you know, mm. so it was quite difficult. Um, mm. Yeah. That's interesting. And to me, that's so much power, mm -hmm. being able to know what's going to come with that yeah. and still stand by it, right? Because I think, yeah. it, it would, to me, I know it would have come with a high mental cost, mm -hmm. but it almost sounds easier to just be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll pray and just pray. Yeah, it, it definitely was easier. Like, I think after that, I was able to stand my ground for a while and not be swayed to going to church for the whole amount of my gap year mm -hmm. but then when i went for my second year um in 2021 and then during the summer of 2022 i went home mm -hmm. and 
I feel like we had made so much progress in terms of accepting me mm. as I am with my mom. I started therapy when I was home and I feel like it made our relationship easier because I was able to communicate better mm-hmm. without being um letting my emotions get in the way. But this summer, all of that progress down the bin. <laughs> down the oh my gosh, it is so I think there was a point at which I decided to go back to church just so that the pressure and the emotional abuse can stop because mm. my mental health was in the pits and I was contemplating suicide. Mm. So I was just like, if going back to church is going to stop all of this toxicity coming back my way, then I'm going to do it. And I did. Mm. And it stopped it. Um, and that's how I survived the summer. Mm. Yay! <laughs> Were you able to compartmentalize it? Um, to be like, well, I'm going to church, not who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this just to some degree to help myself. We all, all did did also involve a lot of suffering for you. Um, I was able to use artificial substances <laughs> to kind of numb myself during the services, but I was able to. It was difficult because on one hand, I felt like I had failed myself in terms of I had let myself down by accepting this but then I also realized it's a sacrifice I have to make for like a bigger picture um, so yeah it was difficult I think it was worth it though but I wouldn't like to be in the same situation again mm. which means I need money <laughs> <laughs> that's something else uh, I'd love to ask you and I think money might have to do with your decision yeah. to not come or to take a gap year. Was yeah. that the case? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so when I when I took a gap year, one of the reasons was I didn't know that Minerva was a good fit for me because I wasn't prepared for the financial aspect of it. Mm. Like, I came in knowing that I'm going to be paying X and Y amount of money and then all of a sudden there's a scholarship tax. Mm-hmm. And I know we don't read the fine print, but I was so shocked and I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then my parents are also supporting my siblings, mm-hmm. so I kind of have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot, um, especially because San Francisco is such an expensive city. Mm-hmm. So I found myself having to really strain my budget so that I'm able to use my work study money essentially mm-hmm. to pay my fees or pay for um, my scholarship tax and my loan. And I don't know, it's like, yeah, I was living hand to mouth, honestly. And I thought that, you know, let me take a gap here and see whether I can keep doing this for the rest of my Minerva journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you feel through the process? Did mm-hmm. you feel supported? Did you feel seen, heard, or how, how was the process for you? From both an institutional point of view, but also from a community point of view. Right. So from a community point of view, I can maybe talk about the friends that I had at the time mm-hmm. for who we were going through the same processes, the same experiences, maybe from the same um, economic background. So we had that support for each other in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, I know it's tough, but yeah, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. But on the institutional aspect, I found myself sending so many emails, so many emails trying to problem solve, having mm-hmm. meetings, and I feel like there wasn't any budging on that mm-hmm. side. And it was kind of frustrating, mm-hmm. um, especially like last year when I came back, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was better prepared to handle the finances. I thought, okay, if I do this and this and this and this, I should be good to go. But then I come back and then payment plans for a specific type of bill had been phased out. And I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And that was part of my strategy plan. So I was like, okay, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. So it's just quite frustrating. Um, yeah, especially like from the institutional side. Um, and I felt like, you know, I just I had to figure it out. Um, especially as an arts major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it can be quite frustrating. I'm glad you figured it out. Um, yeah. It's really inspiring to hear everything that you have gone through and mm. how resilient you are. Like, <laughs> honestly, so resilient. Thank you for I saying think that. Some of this stuff I have gone through, but some of this stuff I have no idea how I would navigate. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just crazy to see how you actually went through it. And, you know, it, I think it's so hard to stop mm-hmm. and take breaks and take care of yourself and find mm-hmm. momentum again. And, mm-hmm put your th- yourself through the gears and it's mm-hmm. incredible to me that you're able to do that. Take breaks, mm-hmm. learn, grow, be back in some uncomfortable spaces mm-hmm. and, and still continue. Mm-hmm. Through all of this, I feel like you have forged yourself and nowadays, when mm-hmm. do you feel the most you? When I feel... I feel the most me when... I am interacting with art, especially that that concerns women, mm. yeah, or feminists, or yeah, social issues like that. I also feel the most me when I am having conversations with people about their lived experiences. Mm. I really love learning about people, and. Mm. I started rock climbing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started rock climbing. I'm usually terrible with physical activities, but it makes me feel strong. Um, mm. And yeah. And dancing. Oh my gosh. Dancing. How can I forget? <laughs> yeah, I feel the most me when I'm dancing. Oh. Um, yeah. Any specific kind of dance? I guess. Y'all would just have to wait and see. Hey, I yeah. am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Juliet, now I want to look a little bit into the future. Uh-huh. And what are you actually looking at? Mm-hmm. Um, is there any issue, big or small, that you would like to contribute solving? Mm-hmm. Or um, what does the future look like for you? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I think... Okay, so career-wise, I'm trying to get into UX design. So if you're into UX design, let's connect. I have no idea what I'm doing. Let's figure it out together. But in terms of... the Okay, I would like to do something concerning mental health in Kenya, especially the kind of access that's um, given to teenagers. Because I look at my siblings, they're in their teens right now, they don't know what's going on, they're trying to figure things out, and I feel like it should be so much easier if they had access to um, classes that open themselves up in terms of self-awareness, 
self-growth, um, how to build relationships. No one tells us how to be in relationships. And then all of a sudden, we're so, yeah. So I would love to contribute to that in some kind of way. Mm. Yeah, it's still kind of fake right now. Mm. And I'd also love to tell more stories, especially from my perspective as a black, queer, low-income person traveling the world <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I want to hear that content. Yeah. I'm really here for it. Mm-hmm. I want to move on now to a fast fire round of questions. Yes, let's go. Um, so what is your favorite song at the moment? It's called Titi Me Pregunto by Bad Bunny. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, book or ebook? Book if I can access the book, but ebooks for now. Uh, camping or binge watching Netflix? <laughs> okay. Binge watching Netflix? I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. is your spirit fruit? Mango. Mm. Mango. Yeah, we have the best mangoes where I'm from in Kenya. Oh, I love that. Yeah. But that's a tough claim because we have amazing mangoes in Brazil. We'll have to bring the mangoes <laughs> to the table yeah. and get judges you to decide. You have to. Yeah. What is your word of the day? Gratitude. Mm. Yes. Juliet, let's wrap this episode. It's been incredible to have you here. Thank um, you so much for having me. No problem. I'm delighted. And I'm wondering if the audience wants to continue this conversation mm-hmm. with you. What's the best way to reach out? That's a good question. Reach me on Telegram. Yeah, because... How yeah. do they find you on Telegram? Okay, let me just check my handle on Telegram. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a second. Yeah, my handle on Telegram is at Juliet Nzuna, J-U-L-I-E-T-N-Z-U-N-A. Yes, just chat me on Telegram and we can have some good conversations. Thank you so much. I am super glad to have you here and I'm hoping that in the future we're going to have to host you again and <laughs> see where life is at and learn more from you. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you so much.